0: Host Kurt Savig, and on this week's edition of Paranormal Almanac, let's talk about UFOs and aliens and nothing else except for shoutouts. Because as always, first up, we have shoutouts.
1: That's right, we have shout-outs to Aaron B, Aaron V, Adam. Ah, Monsters, Lauren and David, Alicia, G, Amber, A, Andrew, April, S, Ashley, V, Audra, P, Austin, B, Autumn, T, Bill, D, Bob, K, Brandon, E, Brett, F, Caitlin, Carolyn C, Carolyn D, Carrie M, Chris J, Chuck C, Cindy F, Cole S. Krista L, Dan, Dill, Dave, and Sean W. Wagner, doesn't matter. I like them. They get the well, I like you all, but they can they can get their last name in there. Donald S. Dorian L. Elliot Van W. Erica D, Aaron R, Ezra, Fran S. Gamer Fan, Harley, Harry, Heidi A, I, Isabel P, or Isabel V. I don't know. I don't know how these dashes work on these. J Mark B, Jade B, Heine M. Jason C, Jeff B, Jeff T. T, Jennifer T, Jared H, Jerry, Jim W, Joe W, John H, Joshua M, Josh, Juliana B, Karen C, Carrie M, Casey, Kelly H, Kelsey G, Carrie S, Kim D, Kara, Kira V, Lash, Laura P, Laura Ruth O. Lauren Mangano and Phil, Lauren McCune, Lawrence H, Leo K, Lindsey Hahn, Lindsey Hahn, Lorelai D, Gio, Lorelai, M. Caballero, Martin M, Matt S, Megan, uh, Megan Mc. Sure, why not? Megan R, Mickey G, Eric M, Nanashi, W, Nick L, Nick M, Pablo O, Paula C, Rachel D, Robin P, Rosa H, Russell M, Sarah B, Sarah L, Sean Bishop, Shelley W, Stephen G, Suzanne M, Todd, Jamie, and Elijah Hendrickson, Tanya M, Trey E, Veronica S, What's That, Will B, and again, Sean Wagner. So, I try to mix it up a little bit. I wanted to give you guys all... I don't want to give you...
0: uh, hmm, I don't know how to say this. I don't want to say your full name unless everybody's comfortable with that. And even then, it could be that, you know, some people are comfortable with it and some people aren't. That's why I was only doing the first names. But now I got a couple people that were like, hey, can you shout out me as this? And of course I will. I definitely want to shout out any way you want. Stephen. Stephen G, definitely. I'm here for you guys. You guys are here for me. We're here for each other in this pandemic but that was shout outs if you want to be like the cool kids head on over to patreon.com paranormalalmanac paranormal almanac every penny you guys give to this show goes to making the show a much much better show so let's move right on into a massive edition of paranormal all ufo news And yes, you did hear that right. This entire episode is all about UFOs and aliens, including a massive edition of Paranormal News, including this first story. Here are some videos of UFOs. On Monday, the Pentagon officially released three videos showing unidentified aerial phenomena. And they they announced that they were official. I mean, I don't even want to read the whole fucking story. It's, look, the Pentagon came out and said, hey, You know those videos that were captured by the U.S. Navy aircraft in 2004 and 2015 and had been previously released by To the Stars Academy and the New York Times? Well, guess what? Those videos are authentic. That's right, the Pentagon. The Pentagon spokeswoman. Sue Gauff, Gauff? Sure, why not? Whatever, it doesn't matter. Said in a statement that the department was releasing the footage itself now in order to clear up any misconceptions by the public on whether or not the footage that has been circulating was real or whether or not there is more to the videos. I can tell you, I think it was not from this world. That's from one of the pilots, retired commander David Fravor. He said it in 2017 about the footage that he himself recorded. During a routine training mission off off the coast of California in 2004. He said, I'm not crazy. Haven't been drinking. It was after 18 years of flying. I've pretty much seen about everything that I can see in that realm. And this was nothing close. That's right. The Pentagon confirmed that these videos are real. They haven't been doctored. They are official. They are unexplained aerial phenomena. This is as close to disclosure as we've ever gotten. And they did it in a time where there's so much shit going on in the world that people can't even focus on this part of it. That's how crazy the news has gotten lately. It's insane to me. Okay, let's keep on going on with this paranormal news, all UFO edition. Up next, space aliens, meteor shower. What were the lights that some saw in the sky tonight? Well, I've even had people on the new Facebook page. That's right. There's a Facebook page devoted to Paranormal Almanac. A a listener, Sean Wagner, created a Facebook page. She said, can I do it? And I said, sure. Knock yourself out. Go for it. If You want to do it? That's totally cool. Any place where like-minded people can get together and talk about the paranormal, I am all for. And apparently, the Facebook page groups are easier for everybody to have, you know, conversations in than just my facebook page for paranormal almanac so if you want to find it it's out there um we'll make sure that the link gets out to everybody but in that facebook group one of the listeners very nice woman said hey my daughter-in-law saw this and you know freaked out and she told me to go, go outside and look outside look up and look and i saw these line of things and what the hell were they did i see a ufo a lot of people are reporting this to me a ton of people those little lights those multiple lights that go in a line that are definitely ufo looking are sadly just part of spacex starlink satellites that's it they're just a bunch of low orbit or low, low earth orbit satellites working in combination with ground transceivers so unfortunately the amount of UFO reports are about to skyrocket because of these SpaceX Starlink satellites and for good reason. I've seen them myself and went, holy shit, is that a UFO? No, no, it's the Starlink. It's SpaceX. Way to go, Elon Musk. Way to make people think that uh, even more shit is out there. But sadly, just satellites. Up next in paranormal news, scientists know where aliens might be, but humans will never see them. Well, I don't know about that. But it goes on to say, beyond the impenetrable cosmological horizon is the unobservable universe, vast, possibly infinite, and maybe the likeliest location for alien life. They say this is the part of the universe labeled there be dragons here. And what they're talking about in this article is the cosmological horizon, also known as the particle horizon. It is the place where the key boundary that scientists say, this is where the building block. Of life will be. That we can kinda see it, but we can't really see it too well because it's a few billion light-years away. This is where, if there's gonna be aliens, that's where they'll be coming from. It goes on to say that for decades scientists have struggled to square the theoretical probability that alien life exists with the complete lack of observational evidence for this data. A tension that is known as the Fermi Paradox. But an astrophysicist at the University of Tokyo proposes that the paradox could be addressed by widening the scope of potential abiogenesis abiogenesis events, which is the term for the origins of life. Instead of focusing on the emergence of life within the observable universe, he probes the likelihood of abiogenesis in the whole inflationary universe, including everything beyond the cosmological horizon. He says, the origin of life is certainly the biggest question in science, and I wanted to think about it from a viewpoint of an astrophysicist. It was rather natural for me to think about the abiogenesis, I'm hoping I'm saying that right, abiogenesis probability beyond the observable universe because all astrophysicists studying cosmology know that the real universe's size is much bigger than the observable universe. Sure, he's right, it is. So why not? Why will we never see beyond this cosmological horizon well it's because it's so vast it's so far out there it's just not within our scientific realm to see beyond it and therefore whatever's out there is gonna remain a mystery at least for a long time to come up next in paranormal news will seti 2.0 lead to a discovery of intelligent aliens I talked about this one a few weeks ago, that the SETI thing was shutting down. The search for search for extraterrestrial intelligence that used a bunch of computers, uh, all these users' computers, kind of like a hive mind, to listen for aliens. Well, that one shut down, but now they're saying, how about SETI 2.0? They said that, uh, as continuing discoveries show us that planets are very common components of the universe, and we're able to study the characteristics of those planets, it's exciting, and at the same time, Technological advances are giving us the tools to greatly expand our search for signs of life. We look forward to this new realm of discovery. We also look forward to the coming decade when we hope to build a next generation, very large array, which will be able to search a volume of the universe a thousand times larger than that accessible to current telescopes, making it the most powerful radio technosignature search machine humanity has ever constructed. And I got to be honest, I I really hope they get to it and they get to it as quick as possible. We need to find these aliens. I mean, I I believe that they're coming to us constantly anyway, but say they aren't. Say that all of these UFOs are somehow man-made, which they're not, but say they are. We need to find extraterrestrial life so that we can work together... As a human race, instead of as an American and a Russian and a whatever. We need to work together as a human race to make this planet good again. To, to To fix everything that's wrong with this planet right now. We are destroying this planet in some vain attempt to fight amongst ourselves. To figure out who's got the best of this and the coolest of that. And who's the strongest of bullshit. Let's work together as a human race. And let's work together peacefully with whatever else is out there in the universe. Come on, it's 2020. Let's move past this bullshit. I've got a bigger gun than you. And let's try to be, I don't know, more like Star Trek. Come on, people. Okay. Up next in Paranormal News, Dublin Boy 7 writes cute letter encouraging aliens to visit and even move to Terranure. I, its I don't know. It's somewhere in Ireland. A seven-year-old Dublin boy has gained some serious popularity over the last few days after inviting aliens to visit and even move to a scenic Southside village. Jack Dawkins penned the cute note to potential extraterrestrial visitors who might be eyeing up the capital as a new place to settle down in. And in Little Jack suggests, it would be absolutely absurd for the abnormal outsiders to look anywhere else other than... Terranur I gotta look up how to say Terranur because that can't be that that just can't be right and if it is I mean nothing I can do about it but if it is it's just weird but let's see how you pronounce it in real life Terranur oh okay it is Terranur Terranur sure Terranur anyhow little Jack Dawkins wants to turn the UFOs into friends of the capital and focus on one of Terranor's most popular tourist attractions, Bushy Park, to seal the deal. We don't think the curious kid had an exact address to send this letter, but if the Ireland equivalent of Planet Zorg are watching, here's what he said. Dear aliens, I live in Terranor. Here's some things you should know. We have a huge park called Bushy Park. It has ponds with ducks and swans and a really cool skate park. It's a great place to live. Love, Jack lots of love jack hey that's cool fuck it why not come on aliens move there prove jack right what the hell i mean it's does sound kind of like a cool place they got a cool skate park at least come on up next in paranormal news ufos sighted above detroit and cleveland in case you wanted something else to worry about for a while If you like something other than the coronavirus to worry about for a couple hours, that whole thing might seem like a non-socially distanced walk in the park if what people are claiming to have seen in Ohio and Michigan are legit. On two consecutive nights, more than a handful of citizens of Cleveland and Detroit witnessed what appeared to be very similar groups of unidentified flying orbs in the sky. And many of them grabbed video or photos and threw them up online. But the morsel of delightfulness I'm caught up on in all of this is the theory that more than a few people put forth that the coronavirus was delivered by intelligent life from outer space and all the... Oh, this is bullshit. All uh, the rest of this article is bullshit. I'm not even going to read that part of it. But there are some very cool videos, well, two very cool videos, of bizarre lights in the sky that... Um
1: hey, what is that? What is this? Hold on. What is this? What is this? What is this? What is, what is this?
0: Yeah, just keep saying, what is this? What is this? What is this when you look up at UFOs? Just that's all you got to say in a video to make me laugh. Um, Yeah, I don't know what it was. I don't know, man. I don't know what that was. But I'll put both of the videos up online so you guys can see. It was on uh, April 4th, 2020. Very interesting. Something's over the skies of Detroit and Cleveland. All right, let's continue on in the not reliable paranormal news. That's right, a new segment. The first of probably very many... Not reliable, but still part of paranormal news. So here you go, the first of many of the not reliable paranormal news. Alien base and pyramids found on Mars? NASA kept it a secret. No, no they didn't. Alien hunters have been sent into a frenzy after they spotted what they believe to be a doorway leading to an extraterrestrial base and artificial structures on Mars, Now they got some photos from Mars that NASA's released. And of course, the people that are looking at them go, Ooh, look right there. See that? That's a pyramid. No, looks like a rock to me. Look right there. That's a doorway to something else. Still looks like a rock to me. I don't see two pyramids in a face that a lot of people said they saw. Like not even remotely, not even a little bit. It's not even pareidolia or whatever it's called. There is nothing there. I see nothing. And this whole like, look, see, there's a door. Now, that's a hole in a rock and that rock looks really freaking small. So, no. I'm calling bullshit on that one. No, they didn't. Continuing on with the not reliable paranormal news or the Kurt's gonna debunk the shit out of this paranormal news. What if the asteroid is the UFO? Will aliens help fight COVID? An asteroid will fly past Earth on April 29th. That's right, it just flew by. Nothing happened. Wasn't the end of the world. We're all fine. Didn't hit us. They said the Pentagon has released visuals of the UFO. The coronavirus is already here. Here's what they think is the connection. No, sorry. The coronavirus was not caused by aliens. Was not. In fact, I'm going to say 100%. I am 100% sure that the coronavirus was not given to the world by aliens especially not aliens riding on an asteroid flying by us why would they do that it makes no sense there is zero evidence that this is true and i mean zero evidence speaking of that asteroid finally the last piece of paranormal news pierce morgan accidentally declares aliens are coming and asteroids are going to crap and asteroids are crashing four miles from earth yep he sure did On, uh, whatever the hell show, Good Morning Britain, Pierce and Susanna Reed spoke about the revelation about an asteroid crash. The aliens are coming. Just to really cheer things up, Pierce said. Apart from the fact that we have an asteroid, apparently, that's crashing within four miles of Earth. Thankfully, Susanna immediately stepped in and said, Is it four miles? I thought it was four million miles. And, uh, yeah, she's right. Pierce Morgan was wrong. The asteroid that flew past Earth last week, this past week, two days ago, whatever, whenever you're listening to this, flew past at 3.9 million miles away, 16 times further than the distance between the Earth and the moon. We're all fine. It didn't affect us, everybody. All righty, let's take a quick break and get right into this episode, because there's a lot of good stuff that I really want to talk about on this episode. (music) We are back, and like I said earlier, this edition is all UFO and all aliens, because while we've been trapped at home, worried about COVID-19, like you heard just a little bit ago, the government confirmed what we all knew, that those Navy UAV Tic Tac UFO videos were real. You heard it in paranormal news, it's been confirmed, These videos are real, and according to the pilot who saw them, they are not of this earth. This is huge news. Everybody around the world should be going, Holy shit, the Pentagon just said this was real, but they're not. Why aren't we? I've asked this question before. I asked this question a few months ago. I've definitely asked this question a number of times on here. This is what's become a, like, a non-event. UFOs being shown to us, being shown that by the government, that they're real videos. The government can now just release videos and go, hey, look, here's some UFO videos. And we'll go, yeah, okay. These are non-events. Disclosure is going to be a non-event. The world kept spinning. Everybody just kept bitching about how they have to sit at home and watch Tiger King instead of going, wait, I'm sorry, what was that? UFOs are real? Oh, okay, cool. There was no religious uproar. The Vatican didn't cave in on itself. Disclosure is a non-event now. But I figured with Aliens Exist actually trending, that hashtag Aliens Exist is trending on Twitter, and UFO news blowing up the internet, I figured I'm going to push back the episode I was going to do, and I'm going to do an all-UFO all alien edition of Paranormal Almanac. So, to kick things off, let's go back to 1952. September 13th, to be exact, to a thing called Operation Mainbrace. Never heard of it? It's shocking to me, again, how little this has made the news, or is talked about now. Again, this is a huge story That just kind of seemed to go away even back then. Alright, so what exactly is Operation Mainbrace? Well, Operation Mainbrace was a NATO exercise in the North Atlantic. A war game to simulate an attack by the Soviet Union on Europe. It involved 200 ships, 1,000 planes, and 80,000 NATO-countryed soldiers. Soldiers from a bunch of NATO countries. 80,000 of them to be exact. The very first night of the 12-night exercise, the captain and crew of a Danish destroyer called willemos spotted a triangular UFO moving through the night sky towards the southeast at what they estimated to be 900 miles per hour. 1952. Now, it emitted a blue glow and not surprisingly was like nothing any of these very experienced military personnel had ever seen these people were in the war they'd seen everything up to that point and they said this was nothing like anything anyone had ever seen then 6 days later september 19th a british meteor jet aircraft was returning to the airfield at Topcliffe, Yorkshire, England, just before 11 a.m. As it was approaching a landing, it descended to 5,000 feet when a silver UFO was seen behind it by the ground crew. They said it was swaying back and forth like a pendulum. Lieutenant John W. Kilburn and other observers on the ground said that when the meteor began circling, the plane itself, the aircraft, the jet, began circling, The UFO stopped. They all said it was disc-shaped and rotated on its axis while hovering, you know, like in midair. It was just, boom, right there on the hovering, but it was rotating on its axis. That's why they say it was kind of like a pendulum. They said the disc took off westward at high speeds, then changed its course, and then disappeared to the southeast. A report in the National Archives by Lieutenant John Kilburn said the object then began to descend towards the plane, towards the meteor, swinging in a pendular motion, similar to a falling sycamore leaf, he wrote. He thought it was a parachute or engine cowling that had broken loose from the jet, but then the object suddenly stopped in midair, rotated on its own axis, and took off at incredible speeds over the horizon. He said, the acceleration was in excess of that of a shooting star. I've never seen such a phenomenon before the movements of the object were not identifiable with like anything I have ever seen in the air. Next, on September 20th, a newspaper reporter named Wallace Litwin was on deck of the USS Franklin Delano Roosevelt. He and several pilots and their flight crew members watched a silver disc-shaped UFO in the sky that appeared to be following the Roosevelt and the fleet. He even took some photos of it, but he said honestly... He thought he was just looking at a weather balloon. He went below deck telling the ship's executive officer about the weather balloon he just photographed, kind of joking around saying, Hey, I just took a photo of your UFO, nice weather balloon. And that's when he learned no weather balloons had been launched, released, whatever you want to call it, that day. That officer radioed the Midway and they too confirmed there were no weather balloons. None. None had been released. None were out there. Here's the shitty part about this one. Those photographs that he actually took, they were classified and remain classified to this day. Apparently one of the photographs is um, an uncredited photograph in a Project Blue Book book. But if it's uncredited, um, how do you know? I don't buy that at all. All right, that same day, September 20th. We're still on September 20th at Korup Airfield in Denmark. Three Danish Air Force officers sighted a UFO about 7:30 p.m. They described it as a shiny disk with metallic appearance. They watched it pass overhead from the direction of the fleet into the clouds to the east. Then on September 21st, the next night, Six British pilots were flying a formation of jets above the North Sea when they spotted a silver sphere approaching them from the direction of the fleet at a high speed. They made their way back to the base, and on their way, they realized the UFO had been following them. One pilot veered off to actually engage the UFO, but it turned instantly and, again, took off at high speed. Remember, these aren't little nothing planes. These are fighter jets. These are the top of the list, the most advanced fighter jets at that time. And they, they couldn't catch up to the UFO. It outran them in a blink of an eye. Then, September 27th and 28th, it was, you know, midnight over. Throughout Western Germany, Denmark, and Southern Sweden, there were a ton of UFO reports from the same area as the fleet, including a bright object with a comet-like tail that was visible for a long period of time in the skies over Hamburg and Kiel. Now, one report of the three satellite objects were moving around a larger object, and finally, a cigar-shaped object moving silently eastward was also reported. Every one of these, it came from the direction of the fleet, it took off to the southeast or the east, and it was every conceivable shape of UFO. We have triangles, we have discs, we have circles, we have cigar-shaped. It's like every UFO that was out there was watching this military exercise, and probably with good reason. It's been said that whenever there's a big war coming up, or or a big moment in humanity, like us dropping the bomb or testing the bombs, whatever you want to say, UFOs are there. They seem to want to be part of these historical moments in mankind's history which is again why a lot of people think that ufos and aliens are just us from the future coming back to look at these high points of humanity i can't really argue with that to be honest with you because it would make sense after a while if you had a time machine sure you get to see the beatles on the rooftop or whatever band you want to see But after a while, what you're really going to focus on are the big points, the big things in humanity. Yeah, for me, I want to see the Beatles on the rooftop. I want to see, I want to be there by the grassy knoll for JFK. I mean, there's certain things that I want to be part of. I want to be in Roswell when that thing crashed, whatever it was. I mean, there's spots where I want to be. But after a while, those things are going to keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Sure, I'd probably check out D Day or the first atomic bomb test or Chernobyl or whatever, you know. After a while, it's only going to be the big ones, the highlights. Anyhow, back to the uh, Operation Mainbrace. A UFO investigator found documents in the UK National Archives in 2001. Now, these former top secret documents, it's a uh, six page report from the Ministry of Defense's Directorate of Scientific Intelligence. Basically, It's like the UK's version of the CIA. Now, these were dated June 1951. They were written by a top-secret panel of military intelligence experts known as the, quote, Flying Saucer Working Party. Apparently, that was a real thing. This five-member team had been meeting since 1950 to analyze reports of unexplained sightings from the RAF, Royal Air Force, and Royal Navy pilots. The Flying Saucer Working Party had dismissed all sightings by experienced military personnel as either, quote, mistaken identification of conventional aircraft, optical illusions and psychological delusions, known astronomical or meteorological phenomena, or deliberate hoaxes. Hi, Stitch. Sound familiar? Sounds exactly like the bullshit that Project Blue Book did right around that exact same time. It would not surprise me at all that the Flying Saucer Working Party and Project Blue Book worked together. The governments were working together. We're allies after all, why not? Anyhow, this report went on to say, We should regard this on the evidence so far available as a singularly, singularly profitless enterprise. We accordingly recommend very strongly that no further investigation of reported mysterious aerial phenomena be undertaken unless and until some material evidence becomes available. Winston Churchill himself, who had heard all of these reports, wrote on July 28, 1952. What does all this stuff about flying saucers amount to? What can it mean? What is the truth? Let me have a report at your convenience. Then a newspaper clipping published months after the main brace exercises pressed an air ministry official for the results of this investigation. That official said he had no idea if the investigation was ongoing or if its conclusions would be shared with the public. The reporter asked, was there any chance that it might turn out to be a flying saucer? The reporter wrote this, one gathered from the low chuckle of the official that there was not the remotest chance, that there was not the remotest chance. We take those stories with a large spoon of salt, old boy, he said. And this... These, whatever you want to call them, these are the only known instances from this military exercise. But a lot of people, including me now, think that even more case files are still classified or sadly have been destroyed a long time ago. Now that's how you kick off a UFO episode. When people tell me there are no more new stories. Well, this isn't a new story, but it's new to a lot of people. It's huge. All of those military people from all these NATO forces, countries, whatever you want to say it, 200 ships, 1,000 planes, 80,000 soldiers, 12 days military exercise, and dozens of UFOs reported above, around, and involved with these forces. That's just insane to me. Alrighty, the next story. There's, technically, there's only two stories in this episode, but two huge, huge stories. So this next story is one that I've been wanting to do for a while, but it's one that could have gone either way. So many things have been written about it that it was really hard for me to determine truth from lies. Fact from fiction. So I guess this whole part of the episode is kind of grain of salt time but not really. You'll get what I'm saying in a little bit. What am I, what the hell am I talking about? Well, I'm talking about Hangar 18. In case you don't know what it is, here's some backstory first. Hangar 18 at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base was first hinted at or known about since the Roswell crash. So I will say, I'll just say rumor has it that the UFO that crashed, as well as the bodies from the Roswell crash, were flown to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio, and stored at Hangar 18. I personally believe that happened, but we'll get to that in a little while. So this whole next bit is all about Hangar 18. Now, if you ask officials today while on tour of wright Pat, I'm going to call it wright Pat from now on, Um, They'll tell you there is no Hangar 18, which technically is true. They're not actually lying to people. They can legitimately say, nope, no Hangar 18 here. But while there's no Hangar 18, there is a Building 18. That's right. Building 18 exists and has been seen and is probably part of what was once known or is known as hangar 18 because there are buildings 18 18 a 18 b c d e f and g and all of them are connected to hangar 23 which has above and below ground hangars so can any of the legends of hangar 18 actually be proven yeah Kind of they can. Because after Roswell, the pilots that flew the UFOs and the bodies to Wright-Patterson talked about it, including Oliver Henderson. He told his wife that he flew a plane loaded with debris, including several small alien bodies, from Roswell to wright Pat. And the children of Marion Black Mac Magruder said their father told them He saw a living alien at Wright Field in 1947. Oh, by the way, it was called Wright Field before it was called Wright Patterson, way before it was called Wright Pat. He said, it was a shameful thing that the military destroyed this creature by conducting tests on it. So yeah, that that sucks. That sucks really bad. Also, other officers involved in the cleanup of Roswell itself have said that they were told back then that everything associated with this crash would end up at Wright Pat every little piece of debris made its way back to Wright Patterson but why why there well again it depends where you where you look most people agree that a ton of experimental aircraft have been tested and built at Wright Pat but good luck finding definitive proof because a lot of it is still classified it is known that they tested a ton of planes there things were seen over the skies little bits got and you know, all got released here or there so it is true that there was a lot of experimental craft rockets everything being done work being done at Wright Pat but other people say that everything was flown to Wright Pat because at that time in 1947 there was an already established aeromedical Squadron. At that time, they had the cutting edge equipment to work on not only the UFO, but the aliens too. All right, so we know that, yes, Hangar 18 exists. It's not really Hangar 18, but when did Hangar 18 really get connected to Roswell publicly? Again, A lot of research went into this, but my best guess is two people. The first one, Robert Spencer Carr, who in 1974, he charged the Air Force, publicly charged them about a cover-up of UFOs and bodies, and it got a bunch of media attention. He said he knew some people in the area, knew some people that worked at Wright-Patterson, had some, quote, evidence that the... Air Force were covering up UFOs and bodies at Wright-Patterson, and he mentioned Hangar 18. Then, the other person, Leonard Stringfield. Now, he lived near wright Pat and knew a ton of people that worked there. He was a ufologist, a UFO nut, whatever you want to call him. His interest in the UFOs led him to interview a ton of these people. And he started publishing this little self-published zine, if you will, about UFOs before there were websites. And he talked about UFOs, what was at Wright-Patterson, what was seen by the people that worked there, and went into detail. Like in 1980, in one of these little zines, is the first mention of Building 18F and alien bodies and wreckage from Roswell. Okay. Here's some real grain of salt stuff. In 1996, Robert L. Marshall, who was real and held high-level clearance, stated that both his father and his grandfather were iron workers that built a four-level underground facility under the hangar. He said it had secret doors, secret vents, that it was completed in 1947 just before Roswell. He said his father was actually called in to fix one of the doors and actually saw the UFO wreckage. And on his deathbed, his father told himself, told Robert, it was a small circular craft and that he also saw one of the aliens. He said it wasn't green or purple. It was just a small being. And this was all in Hangar 23. So it seems to me like the kernel of truth's all lead to the building complex 18 and hangar 23, which is connected to it, and the underground complex that is below it. Now, there's a lot of stuff online that that four-level underground hangar, which was huge, it could house a bunch of planes, supposedly bomb-proof and nuke-proof, that this hangar had since been dug out even more to be six levels down it goes down another two levels so can't confirm it grain of salt but supposedly hangar 23 in wright patterson has six levels underground and might still have some aliens and ufos in it now there are a ton of uncorroborated stories of people who had been down there, seen UFOs, seen bodies, been in the freezers where the bodies either are or were stored, but without more proof, I don't wanna be just another person telling unverified stories about Hangar 18, but there is one person that I need to tell you about that was proven to work at Wright-Patterson when she said she did. With the clearance levels she said she had. Her name was June Crane. And I say was, cause sadly she's not with us anymore. Damn, do I still wish she was with us. Now she had one of the highest civilian security clearances there and started working there in 1942 at age 17 until about 1951, 1952. Now here are parts of her interview with a man named jim clarkson she had been corresponding with him back and forth for a while and he finally said you know these letters are great but i want to interview you i want to hear it from you and she agreed so on june twenty-seventh, 1997 jim sat down with her turned down the tape recorder and interviewed her here are just some parts of that interview i'm not going to read the whole interview I really wish I could find audio of this interview for you so you could hear it from herself, but I couldn't find the actual audio. But I wanted to read you parts of this interview because it's so intriguing. She says, I worked at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base and I worked there three different times. The first time I worked in the supply unit and in that period, I caught a spy. That was the main point of that. It wasn't long period after that time that I worked. And the second time was a supply unit And it was a photograph, a photo photographic unit. And I saw all the photographs of everything that came in. That was in the gun sightings, GSAP cameras. And we had files and files and files of those camera sightings. You know, gun sightings and point cameras. All the shootings and all the different during the war. She talks kind of funny. So this is verbatim. She said, I had top secret clearance. And later, then they finally gave me Q, what they call Q clearance, which is what at that time was the highest clearance that you could have, because I was in a very sensitive, doing very sensitive work. So Jim asks her, Okay, when, when was the first time in your experience that you bumped into or heard anything related to unidentified flying objects? She said, I would say the second day I went to work in 51 or 52. He said, did you ever hear them say anything that wasn't, that was not speculation, that there was something that they were talking about, something that happened or something they knew about? And she said, nothing other than the actual, that they had seen the things that had actually seen the UFOs themselves at White Sands, New Mexico. They said they were just as thick as stars. That's when we were doing the Aerobi Arobi, Arobi rocket test. Just you read this and you'll understand. I've got it right here in this letter here. They frequently saw them. And then they told me, and I'm positive, there were three crashes. He said, oh, he goes on to say, Perhaps the three crashes in question are the 1941 crash in Missouri, the 1947 crash or crashes in New Mexico, and the 1950 crash in the El Indio Guerrero area. She also commented on other occasions that there may have been more than three. So Jim says, so as a 52, they knew about three crashes? She said, right. And he said, of vehicles that were probably extraterrestrial? She says, right, right. And then the ones that they were brought, the two men, then they're the ones that the two men in, brought into Wright-Patterson Air Force Base and put them in the icebox. I didn't see it because nobody was allowed to see it, see these two quote-unquote people, but the person that brought them in, he was a master sergeant, and you understand that when a military airplane takes off, there's always an enlisted man in charge. So she's talking about two little people bring, being brought in to wright pat when she worked there. So Jim says, he said that he brought two little men in? And he said, okay, but by two little men, she said, yes, he called them little green men. He described them as greenish blue and they were four feet tall and they were dead. Jim said, so the color could have been because they were dead? And she said, yeah, And he said, not, she's like, well, yeah, but you could see it, but you, yeah, but you see it could have been anything. And Jim said, flat out, we're talking about non-humans. And she said, and she said, non-humans, right. He said, did he see anything? Did he say anything else about them? And she said, no, not really, because it was only a matter of 15 minutes. We were having our coffee that morning. We were having our coffee that morning. And that's when he brought them up. So she goes on to say a lot in this interview about how casually people talked about these things back in the day, if everybody had the same security level. And that's something that I found everywhere that at that time, if you had the security level where they could, you could be in the room or you could hear it, people would talk openly back then about aliens, about the Roswell crash, about the dead bodies, everything. And she's confirming all of that in this interview. So Jim goes on to say, now, is this the same time period? Is this the same period of time that you mentioned that someone actually showed you a piece of something? And she said, yeah, 51, 52. He said, okay, who showed it to you? And she said, okay, it was Lieutenant Rose is the one that showed it to me or Captain Wheeler. Now it could have been one or the other of these guys because they were both in personnel, personnel in shoots. So she worked in a um, very top secret clearance department where they dealt with parachutes for rockets. They actually included, um, she'll mention it. I'm not sure if I have this in here still, but she actually talks about Von Braun, a Nazi soldier or a Nazi scientist that was taken by the U.S. uh, part of Operation Paperclip, but She's saying he worked at Wright-Patterson, which blows my mind for a very different reason. But I want to keep to this. So she's talking about personnel in shoots at this point because that's the department that they were in. And he walked in and they always liked to rag me because they couldn't figure me out. He threw it on my desk and said it was a piece. Well, it was a piece about about this big. He goes, Jim says, about half the size of a business card. And she said, yeah, about that size and half of this. And Jim said okay, so a little bit thinner, about the size of a business card, half the size of a business card. And she goes, yeah, and it was bent like this. And he says, and the guy says to her, June, you're good. Tear that thing apart. Break that up. She says, and I took it and I bent it and I twisted it and I laid it back down and it went whoop, right back to the same shape. I got back to my desk and he said, cut it, cut it, try cutting it. She goes, I got on my desk, I got my scissors out and I snipped at it And you know, there was no way I could even cut that little piece of metal. And it was light as a feather. I had it in my hand, and I couldn't. I would say that it didn't weigh as much as these two business cards. It wasn't even that heavy. It was so light, but strong. And it was about the thickness would be about, say, let's say there, that it would be about that thick. So Jim said, so it's fairly thick, but doesn't weigh anything. She said, no, it had no weight to it at all. It was like a feather and so strong. It was sort of grayish gunmetal type of color. And you could see on the side, on the inside, that there was a different, that there was a coating on the outside of it. Both sides were the same and the inside seemed to have some sort of lead color, light lead color to it. Jim said, what about the edges of this? Were they even? Was it like part of something? And she said, yeah, it was even. And he said, all even? And I said, what is it? And the guy said, and she said, It was all even, and I asked him, what is it? And he said, it's a piece of spaceship. She said, well, when I, you know, got through with it and couldn't do nothing to it, I said, well, what is it? And he says, piece of a spaceship. He said, I just came back from New Mexico and brought it back with me. See, he had no business having anything to do with it in the first place, but he had it. So she's actually talking about something that gets talked about quite a bit in Roswell, about the wreckage that was found. And the way that she's describing it is virtually identical to the way it was described. And she held it in her hand. She actually had a piece of it, about half the size of a business card, that this guy just happened to take from New Mexico. So Jim said, well, what else did you ever hear him talk about related to these things? And she said, "She said, well, that quite often they would be talking about how they come on, come to earth. And what's gonna happen to us and they said well in the first place the reason they don't land is because they know we're so warlike that we will probably the first thing we'll try to do is execute them she goes on to say which would be fine logic and they said that they probably had been observing us for hundreds of years and we are such warlike people we're terrible you know the only thing we don't do to each other is we don't eat each other we challenge each other we maim each other and everything And she goes on to say, and so for uh, many reasons, one of the reasons they don't land, but then they also think that the reason they became very noticeable was when we detonated the atomic bomb, because that was when it really got heavy. That was when they got hot and heavy with sightings. And then we started taking our rockets up to it, got heavier and heavier ever since, because they probably don't want us transporting our warlike life to any place else. And I would bet you that they would even prevent us from going to another planet until we learn to live with each other i mean she said but that's just my opinion see i love this woman she is fantastic she's just a cantankerous old woman just telling it like it is remembering exactly like it happened and a lot of the interviewers or people that knew her said her story never changed from beginning to end her story was always the same she goes on to say it was just like that it was a matter of fact i mean they talked like everybody knew it that they were crashing. And Jim goes, you mentioned that they were talking about propulsion systems. And she said, yes, because they said there was no doubt that there was a, you know, a flying saucer, whatever you want to call them. There was no doubt about that. The question, the big question is what their propulsion system was, because it was almost impossible for a vehicle to maneuver the way they do. A human being would be killed immediately if you were in a craft and going straight ahead. Say you're going north and then suddenly you went south. To the east immediately, you went that fast going 100,000 miles an hour. And Jim went, well, yeah, the inertia would kill you. And she goes, yeah, the changes in G-force would kill you. There's just no way a man could survive it. So these vehicles, there's no way they can be manned by ordinary humans. They can't be. And there it is. It has to be an intelligent being to operate those things and be in them and alive in them. Jim said, yeah, right, and the theories and religion about why they don't land, that was one of the big questions. She goes, yeah, that was a big question, why they don't land. The theory was contention, was most of them had the same idea, is that they were warlike. We want to kill everything, and they don't. The emphasis that the reality of UFOs crashed and otherwise was common knowledge among the scientists and the engineers. First thing we'll do is we'll shoot them if somebody lands. They'll go out with the gun and they'll try to shoot them right away. He goes on to say, in that letter, the letters that they corresponded back and forth before the interview, you mentioned that the same day you heard about what had gone on, the little men being brought to the base, there was a memo that came out. Can you tell us about that? And she said, right, right. There was the fear. When I say that they control civilians with fear, and the thing is, it was on one piece of paper. One of those got too hot for me to handle. It had, it had to be passed hand to hand. And it said that some irresponsible person was telling people that there were little green men and that if we repeated the rumor and the rumor was underlined on this memo that we were liable to immediate dismissal or a $20,000 fine and 20 years in jail. And we had to sign that memo. It was signed. The memo came from the base commander. Now the base commander is the commander of the entire base. Now how in the hell he did get that information that fast And got that memo written up, but it got to us because he brought it right into us in the parachute branch. And so we had to sign it. Of course, we didn't talk about it after that. Officially, we were very careful when we talked about it and who we talked about it with. Of course, the scientists, you can't check up on them anyway, but they don't talk to anybody except other scientists. Now, Jim said, talking about the other people on the base, somebody else was actually investigating at the same time. Now, you have to remember, This is 1951, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. We know for a fact, this is real. We know for a fact, this is Kurt talking. We know for a fact that in 1951, in Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, J. Allen Hynek and Project Blue Book were there. Now, she says, yes, they were being investigated by the Project Blue Book officers, yes. But the basic thing and the reason why there was told that people were investigating it and everything... They were investigating it all right, very religiously, but at the same time, they were telling people that they were nuts or drunk or doing mentally under drugs or something. It was the Project Blue Book people. It was what they were all about. What they were about was trying to squelch all the talks of UFOs. So yeah, she was there and she said, yep, everything you've heard about Project Blue Book basically is true. What they were doing back then is exactly what we talk about on this podcast and what a lot of people talk about all the time. Is that, you know what they're trying to do? They're trying to discredit and debunk everything. And at the same time, they believed it all. Because it was real. It was really happening. Uh, So Jim says, let's see. If I remember right, too, in the letter you mentioned that the people in this group went to White Sands to do testing and they came back. Did they say anything unusual happened to them there? And she said, oh yeah. They said they were just as thick as fleas up there. And by they, she's talking about UFOs. She said they'd sit at night, they'd sit outside of their motels or they would stand by the building and they would watch them go over all types and all shapes. There'd be motherships, big ones with little ones coming out of it. And they would see them return and they'd have different colored lights. Some had orange, some had red, yellow, different lights. They would see them all. And then what they would do is they would, what they would do if they would, if the people or the engineers and the scientists report what they would saw, they'd get locked up in the motel for 24 hours with no access to radios. So no people, no nothing. And they'd bring their meals into them, but they'd have no contact with anybody and they'd have them write up what they saw. And then when they came out the following day, 24 hours later, they'd have them write it up again. And like the engineer said, the hell with that, I'm not going to report anymore. I'm not going to be locked up for 24 hours. But what it was just a common thing to look up in the sky and see them over white sands. They were that thick. Now, this is these engineers that I'm talking about. They were my engineers and they were Aerobee Project. But Project Blue Book, they know the government makes it out like it was investigating. But mainly I'd say it was formed to make the American people say that, well, only nuts see flying saucers how right she is. Holy crap, I love this woman. So Jim said, "What do you think the kind of bottom line for all of this is? What do you really think they know?" And she said, "The government? Well, they've got UFOs. And they're trying. They've apparently have already discovered what the propulsion system is. And when they get that there and when they get that their knowledge, their flight pattern, well, it'll be completely different and all the aeronautical flights will be different." She goes on to say, what is their propulsion system? Because it isn't gasoline. It wasn't electric. It wasn't uh, anti-gravity. They think that the engineers would talk. Such a thing as anti-gravity, which was... She goes on to talk about what the engineers would talk about. She's, she Since this is written exactly how she wrote, it's very hard to read. But she basically would say, is it anti-gravity? Is it antimatter?" She didn't know what it was. But she said the uh the things the scientists i worked with they said that people think our solar system is the only one it is remember 1951 she said the scientists said there are other solar systems out there they may not be coming from venus or mars or neptune none of these planets they could be coming from another another solar system completely because there's lots of solar systems they discovered at that time they didn't know because we didn't know I have the equipment that we know about now, so there could be another group of people or beings that have progressed much beyond our knowledge, and they're able to fly around with some type of fuel that their power, that they're using, that we don't have any idea of. But what I would know is that people knew about this. The government has UFOs. She goes on to say, there is a possibility that some of the UFOs that people are seeing now, remember this was 1997, I believe, that some of the ufos that people are seeing now those are ours the government has discovered how to do it because the one that came over when i saw one that came over my head was 40 of us there and we all saw it come over her head now she talks about this uh this ufo sighting that she had it was in the late 80s i believe it was up in oregon Um, It wasn't really pertinent to Wright-Patterson, so I kind of cut it out of there. But she said she had a uh, UFO experience as well, years and years after she had worked at Wright-Patterson. And uh, Jim goes on to say, Did you ever discuss or speculate what would happen if the American people were told the truth back then? And she goes, Oh yeah, it was often discussed. They'd always kick it around. One of the first things, of course, is so many engineers and scientists do not believe in God. And he said the first thing it would cause is complete disbelief in this religion in religious things. Because according to the Bible, God created the earth and all the people in it, and that's it. Well, then this would prove that that's not right. And they would have to be the first thing so the church would undoubtedly try to squelch any knowledge of it that it's real. Then they said another and another another one of the contentions was that the first thing they would do would lower the boom on all of us and stop us from killing each other because we're such a deadly, bloodthirsty bunch of people. And they would probably establish some sort of government ruled by them that would prevent it and stop starvation and war kind as well. She said mankind would be controlled more than they are now by their own government, but everybody would be controlled in the same manner around the world. Thankfully, that doesn't seem to be the case this is Kurt again. Thankfully, that doesn't seem to be the case. It seems like it's not going to be a big deal when they finally, when when word finally gets out. But again, you have to remember this was 1951. The world was a very different place, a really more religious world back then. Uh, Jim goes on to mention something else that I was really interested in. He said earlier, you mentioned um, Project Caucasian. And she said, yeah, that still sticks with me. This author that I communicated with, I gave him um, word and all the things in the government that are coded. She goes, there is a project so-and-so and and a project so-and-so. It's to hide what the projects are, like blue book. And he and Jim went, yeah, right. And she goes, well, this is another one. A project so secret that the paper had to be held and it could not be laid down. It had to go right from one person to the other and then back to its original beginning with and then put in a safe. And she said, everything, everything on it was named Project Caucasian. And this project was right after this in 1952. She said it was right after those bodies came to the base and that it was a project. And it was so now I know I was cleared for Q. Remember, the Q clearance was the highest clearance. She goes, now that I know that I was cleared for Q, that it was so secret that I wasn't allowed to read the whole thing. I had a very small portion of it. I'd say a paragraph that I read, and then I had to add another paragraph onto that, and then I had to take it out of my typewriter. I left a piece of carbon paper in the drawer once, and I got in trouble over it. But it was very secret. To this day, I don't remember what that paragraph I wrote was. I remember it was a forwarding paragraph was all I added to it. That's when Jim goes, oh yeah, I never knew about that kind of security clearance. And she goes, yeah. And he goes, do you think that Project Caucasian was related to the bodies? And she goes, well, it was right after they brought the bodies to the base. Also, I tried I tried to get my boss, my direct boss, to tell me what it was. And he looked like he was scared. I mean, he looked like he was frightened. And he said, June, I can't talk about it. I mean, he would not talk about it. Now, normally, he would tell me everything I wanted to know. I even knew he had a girlfriend. He was married. So... Unfortunately, that's all that we know about Project Caucasian. But I'm so curious as to what the hell Project Caucasian, a project so secret that once they typed about it, they had to remove that ribbon from the typewriter so it couldn't even be found. Even if they typed over the ribbon, they said, nope, that is not enough. Project Caucasian. Can't find anything else about it? She seems to be one of the only people still that was still alive at that time talking and who actually spoke about it. Now, I will say that um, now I will say that June initially didn't want to talk about any of this stuff. She went to UFO conventions because she knew that these things were real. She knew that these things happened. She had seen photographs. She had held material. She talked to scientists who worked on the stuff. She was on the base with the highest security level. But once she got a bit older, she realized her life was coming to an end. Thankfully, she started reaching out because she knew that people needed to hear about this. Like I said, it's a great interview. I really, really wish I could have found an audio copy so you could hear it in her own voice, but sadly, I just couldn't. Now, I tried to get all the UFO talk from the interview, but she goes on, like I said, she goes on to talk about Von Braun, a Nazi scientist working with other Nazis that we had captured as part of that project, uh, that Operation Paperclip. That is true, but there is no one else That is said, that he worked at Wright-Patterson for extended periods of time. It's absolutely fascinating. Her story never changed. She never embellished anything over the years that she was talking about it to the various people she talked about. It was always the same story. Like I said, it was verified. She worked there when she said she worked there. She had the clearance levels that she said she had. This isn't some crackpot old lady that just wanted to talk about UFOs and made a bunch of shit up. She was there. She was part of it. She knew stuff that has since been declassified and proven that she knew what she was talking about in 1997. Anyhow, like I said, her story should be heard by as many people as it can. She should be a huge part of the Roswell story. The Wright-Patterson story. The Hangar 18, which is really 23 as we now know, story. Information about UFOs from the people who were there that experienced it. Can you imagine what would happen if everybody that had worked at Wright-Patterson, and there might still be, there's a slim chance that there's somebody else that worked there at that time that's still alive. If they are, I implore you, please Share what you know. It's been 60 plus years. Share what you know. Share what you saw. Share what you heard. Let it get out there. The world isn't going to blow up because we know about UFOs. Let's get this story out there. Now, I wish she was still with us because I would devote as many episodes as she wanted to interview her. Man, if only. Absolutely incredible absolutely blows me away. Like I said at the beginning of this, I do believe that Hangar 18, which is actually Hangar 23, whatever, I believe that it exists. It hasn't officially been confirmed that it exists, but for all intents and purposes, from the people that were there, yeah, it exists. And yes, I personally believe that Roswell Materials and Aliens were stored at Wright Patterson for a long time. Where they are now, I have no idea, but for the longest time, they were there, people saw them, people seemed to talk about it. Alrighty, that about does it for this week's episode. What do you guys think? Do you believe June? That's the first one. Again, I, I, I encourage you to read the full interview. She cracks me up. She is, like I said, a cantankerous old woman who wants to speak her mind and doesn't give a shit. And I love her for it. Um, Do you think that aliens and the UFO from Roswell were flown to Wright-Patterson? There are other locations where people think they were flown, but do you think they were flown to Wright-Patterson? Do you think the aliens were examined in Texas, as some people think, or... White Sands, New Mexico, or Area 51, or was it Wright Patterson? What do you guys think? I think that sadly, we're running out of people that were there at that time. We're running out of people that had that firsthand information. And that bums me out to no end. Again, if you were there, if your dad was there, if your grandpa was there, if they told you stories, of what they saw at Roswell or Wright-Patterson, anything to do with personal experiences with UFOs or aliens, please write to me at paranormalalmanac at gmail.com. I want to hear these stories. I want to get these stories out to thousands and thousands of people that listen to this podcast. I want to get them out there because these stories deserve to be heard. Her story deserves to be heard. So I would like to personally thank June Crane, Jim Clarkson for getting this story out and interviewing June Crane. I don't know what I would have asked. There's a billion questions I would have had, but you can see it in this interview with him that he had a billion questions. His mind was going a mile a minute. He was trying to ask as many questions as he could and keep her on the topic of aliens and UFOs, but there's just so much topic to be discussed so many things so many stories she went on to talk about how good looking some of these guys that she worked with were i mean she was she was definitely a character and i love her for it but uh i want to thank her i want to thank jim clarkson i want to thank anybody that continues to search for these documents for this proof i want to find out more about project caucasian but sadly i don't know if we ever will i think that might have been too classified it's just gone now. There's no evidence left. Hopefully I'm proven wrong. I really hope I am. But I hope you guys enjoyed this all-alien, all-UFO episode of Paranormal Almanac. Once again, I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and this has been another all-UFO edition of Paranormal Almanac. You know, I need on You know, I need scaring it hear You know, I need You know, I need scaring it